The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And good morning, everybody. This is Ray Hanania here at the Ray Hanania Radio Show, Wednesday, June 30th, 2021, 8 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 o'clock in the Middle East. It's uh, 3 o'clock someplace in this world. Uh, this morning's topic, and we have a great uh uh, lineup of guests to talk about it is Lebanon. Um, we've seen the turmoil consume Le- Lebanon over the past few years. This week's government lifted fuel sub- subsidies and gasoline prices jumped more than 35%, which is a huge increase. Almost a year ago, Beirut wi- witnessed a massive explosion at its port, one that many believed was tied to Hezbollah. The gross domestic product dropped more than 20%, and the Lebanese pound has lost 90% of its value against the U.S. dollar. There's a banking crisis there, too, in a city that was once the world's jewel, but I believe still can be. Anyone who has been to Lebanon knows how beautiful that country is and remembers the elegance and magic of Beirut. But today, things seem tough. A bright side is that the famous singer Fayrouz, who is 86 years old, turned to social media this morning and sent a selfie of herself with her daughter Rima on Twitter, maybe to remind the people of Lebanon that despite the challenges, Lebanon has a brilliant and beautiful culture and people. It gave everyone in Lebanon, I'm told, a mental boost. We're going to look at all that with two individuals who love Lebanon and who understand those challenges. Ed Gabriel, president of the American Task Force on Lebanon and former ambassador to the Kingdom of Morocco from 1997 to 2001. He's going to be joining us. uh, And I love Morocco. One of my first assignments in 1976, the Moroccan government reached out to me in Chicago and said, hey, we hear you're an Arab journalist. What happened to you? But since you decided to go into journalism, we want to take you on a tour of Morocco and try to get you to write a story about that country. And I did it, and Morocco was beautiful. And we also have Lebanon analyst and Arab News Golf regional manager Sarah Sfer, based in Lebanon, joining us. But first, we're going to take a quick break here at the Ray Hanania Show, brought to you by Arab News at ArabNews.com on the U.S. Arab Radio Network. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. 
they arrived at a safe, effective vaccine. And hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Ziad brand, quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. And welcome back to the radio show. It's always great to be called a veteran. What they mean basically is I'm old. So what are you going to do? Veteran journalist. I don't know. I'd rather be called a new journalist there. Um, There you go. They got rid of that uh, background noise there. Listen, we got some great guests again uh, talking about our great country, Lebanon, um, I was there in 2006, and despite all the problems and the killing of Rafiq Kariri, I think it was like about a year and a half before that, um, Lebanon uh, is just such a beautiful country. The people there, the everything about it, I just love it. We have Ed Gabriel, who's the president of the American Task Force on Lebanon and a former ambassador to the Kingdom of Morocco from 1997 to 2001. Uh, joining us. He's based in Washington, D.C., and Lebanon analyst and Arab News Gulf Regional Manager Sarah Sphere, who is based in Lebanon right now. Sarah, welcome to the show. Ed, thank you for joining us this morning. Good to be with you. 
Uh, it, Ambassador Gabriel has been on our program many times, but uh, for Sarah, this is your first time, so thank you so much. Sure. You know, radio thank used to be... Well, you, you're welcome. Radio just used to be all voices. Now we get all the technology and everything there, and uh, we're broadcasting live on uh, Arab News Facebook page, and they have 5.6 million followers, and they're all watching. Okay, so don't be nervous, okay? Um, and... Get, and uh, th- let, me, let me start by mentioning that the American Task Force on Lebanon put out a, a release this week about welcoming the joint U.S.-France action to pressure Lebanese officials to act. Um, Ed, tell us a little bit about what, what was the... Per- I could read it, but go ahead, tell us what, what was that about. Uh, thanks, Ray. It's good to see you after so many months. Um, you're looking well, and... Uh, uh, you look like a veteran to me, but oh, there you go. compliment. Um, so <clears throat> we um, joined with the Middle East Institute, headed by Paul Salem in Washington, um, which is celebrating its 75th anniversary this year, with the ATL, which celebrated its 30th anniversary last year, uh, to facilitate a policy brief um, uh, that would be rec- that would com- be composed of recommendations to the United States uh, government, Secretary Blinken, on what we needed to do immediately in the next few months in order to save Lebanon. Uh, there were three major recommendations that were immediate, and three that were longer term, say within the next year or so. The first one was the one you mentioned, um, and that is. Um, encouraging the United States to take a leadership position with the France, with French and other countries of like mind, friends of Lebanon, maybe even the Russians and others, uh, the, the Gulf countries, um, on one common plan for Lebanon. Rather than uh, talking from different um, points of view, get everyone together, get them to Lebanon, and let them explain to the politicians of Lebanon that they have no other place to turn but towards a government that will meet the needs of the people of Lebanon. In other words, a hard to marsh, um, a very specific diplomatic approach. We were glad to see that this week. Um, The other two recommendations were, if we're going to uh, have such a... um, uh, a tough um, diplomatic approach because we don't really want to encourage money going to um, corrupt politicians or throwing good money after bad uh, to a, a government that's not meeting the needs of the people, then we've got to figure out how to help the people of Lebanon. So number two is we need to really ramp up humanitarian aid to the people but, but that aid should go through um, nonprofits and multilateral organizations, not uh, through the government of, uh, uh, of Lebanon. And lastly, uh, we've got to continue to support the Lebanese armed forces and their families. On those last two points, humanitarian and uh, Lebanese armed forces, we're very happy with the uh, Biden administration and their uh, willingness to come to the forefront uh, with uh, with uh, with help in both of those regards, and, and I know in the statement, uh, Ed, it said that uh, you know that uh, it was to bring pressure on Lebanese leaders to take action to relieve the country's multiple crisis. 
it's amazing to me that we got to pressure leaders to take action with given all. Yes. Um, can you hear me? Okay. Ray, you got yes. cut out for a second. Yes. No, I can hear you very well. I can hear you very well. It just seems that, uh, I'm not sure uh, if I'm the one that's cut out or if you are Ray. No, I hear you. Can you hear me? All right. Let me just tell you, we can hear you. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Oh, good. All right. You got me scared there for a second. I hate technology. You know, it's so much nicer to be on a phone. But what I was saying, Ed, was that, uh, you know, that the idea that uh, Lebanese leaders have to be pressured to take action to relieve the country's crisis. That just seems odd. Uh, are they not acting? Are they avoiding it? 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 It's, more, it's more than uh, odd. It's a shame. Think about it. These people were supposedly elected to take care of the needs of the people of Lebanon, and they only seem to care about their own, um, uh, their own selves. Um, they have been asked, uh, cajoled, sanctioned, and otherwise uh, pressured uh, in one way or another to act correctly to help the people of Lebanon. So you're right. It's, it's a real shame. There are a couple of uh, carrots and sticks that the, the international community can use. But in the end, uh, we really have to count on the Lebanese people, um, making sure that they keep the pressure on their government until one is formed to uh, address their needs. Could use sanctions. Um, that the threat of sanctions, I think, works better than sanctions themselves. And depending on how you use sanctions, um, and and making sure that it doesn't target one group, one religion, one people. And we're finding out that the threat of sanctions on people with Western bank accounts has a, a, a positive effect, but it can't be the only thing that you use. And that's uh, one of the downfalls of the last administration. It was used almost too much. Sarah, you're a regional uh, Arab news uh, manager out there. You're actually in Beirut, I understand, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. What's life right like there? What, what's life like there? I mean, I, I can remember a number of years ago how beautiful everything. People used to talk about Beirut like it was the, you know, the place to be. And then just a series of problems um, that have beset it. What's it like today? True. It's, today it's really tough. It's really tough to live in Lebanon. And as uh, the ambassador was saying, that we elected people to save us to do reforms, but unfortunately they become, they became the problem. Now we are facing a ruling class that wouldn't give up chairs and shares for, for the people. Like uh, we, uh, you were discussing a while ago about uh, the aids and assistance from uh, powerful countries like the US, France, Gulf countries like Saudi Arabia none of these aids or the majority of these aids went through the government and went to the uh, supporters of the parties forming this government. Uh, after the explosion in uh, the third biggest explosion in uh, Beirut on August 4th, we saw that the whole international community was uh, uh, trying to help Lebanon on the ground there were few people benefiting. I remember um, I, I take I seize this opportunity to thank Saudi Arabia 
for sending uh, humanitarian aid through uh, King Salman Relief Center. They gave it to the people personally. It didn't go through uh, the government. Otherwise, it wouldn't have reached the needy. So talking with the politicians now, as the ambassador was saying, uh, the U.S. is um, having like uh, plans to discuss with these politicians how to, uh, to do the reforms or to, to put pressures on them, I guess I don't know how useful it would that be. Yeah, I know uh, Ambassador uh, Gabriel very well. He's such a great guy. So when I see you involved in something like this, it makes me feel like maybe there's going to be a positive change. What sparked this focus, this attitude? Was it the explosion last year in August that kind of woke people up and said, hey, something needs to be done here? Or I mean, this has been going on for years, but suddenly there seems to be a new push to really help Lebanon, to really bring it what it really needs, the people there, and uh, maybe bring about uh, some improvements in the government. What, what was the catalyst? Was that a major catalyst? You know, Sarah touches upon a, a very interesting point, which addresses your question um, as well, Ray. So I think, um, <clears throat> you know, last week, um, our, our, our very able, the U.S. ambassador to Lebanon, uh, Dorothy Shea was uh, in Washington, and she remarked how pleased she was by the attention that Lebanon is getting uh, in Congress and, and in agencies in the administration. And when you think about all the pressure on the United States from around the world, this is quite an amazing um, observation. Um, Look, I think um, it could be the explosion, but let me just walk through it. Sarah brought up a good point, and that is, you know, following the explosion, I should also add that, you know, the ATFL organized many different, uh, helped uh, facilitate many different NGOs in the United States and citizenry of uh, American Lebanese in America. And we and uh, many of those were from Michigan, quite frankly, Manal Saab, uh, headed an effort and other people around the country. It was quite an amazing undertaking. We sent over $40 million in medicine, medical equipment, and other aid on free FedEx and air cargo shipments uh, there within a couple of months. So uh, the Lebanese people, the Lebanese American community has really risen to the occasion. The United States is also looking at uh, major uh, additional aid as soon as possible. I think they're going through Congress now for approvals, but I think you'll see them also directing their aid as they always do, by the way, through NGOs in the international community, not through the government. Uh, so they're very carefully vetted uh, NGOs. So I think the focus on Lebanon is um, uh, mainly because the, our community is really getting sophisticated about how to work in Washington. And I think that has really helped ensure that Lebanon is not forgotten. That's number one. Number two, uh, as you know, uh, Ray, from our past conversations, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and Jake Sullivan, uh, the National Security Advisor, are well steeped in, um, in uh, the, the issues on Lebanon. And we're 
very active during uh, Biden's campaign to reach out to the Lebanese American community. So uh, we're seeing signs from Tony Blinken, especially where he's directing his people to be responsive quickly. And the, the most recent example of that is last week, in a bilateral meeting with the French, uh, they focused on Lebanon. And you know, Ed, uh, even though I am a veteran journalist and covered Chicago City Hall, one of the toughest political beats in the world, okay? They, they may not have bombings, but so many careers have been destroyed at City Hall. It's unbelievable. You tell uh, Anthony Blinken that he doesn't, you know, we'd love to bring him on the show. I will not bite anybody's head off. I'm a good guy in spite of my uh, years covering Chicago City Hall. Um, so uh, bring him on one time. We'd love to have you on. And by the way, let us I, I want to keep it kind of conversational. So, Sarah, if you want to jump in on topics, same thing with you, Ed. Uh, you know, not just me. I want to get you guys are the experts. You know what's going on over there. Um, I'll give you kind of some of the topics. I mean, what's the most, maybe this question, what's the most, the biggest challenge that faces Lebanon right now? What's the priority, maybe one, two, and three that you guys, you know, both see? And uh, maybe Sarah, you want to start with you first? Well, um, it's true. Lebanon is facing so many challenges on different levels. We have health sector challenges. We have the educational sector challenges with doctors and teachers fleeing the country. Uh, We have um, economic challenges, definitely. But um, what I want to highlight, all these challenges have one root. It's the political challenge we're facing. Because once we fix the political uh, uh, issue, that we have, I guess it would be easy to implement the reforms and start fixing all the other challenges. Uh, We can address technically all the other challenges easily. It's just about uh, having people who want to work for the country, not with foreign agendas. Does it come down to just a matter of bad leadership, Ed? What do you think? I agree with Sarah. Um, I think all roads lead to corruption and bad governance. Um, I will say, if, to answer your question, and I'll, I'm going to really just pair it in a lot of ways with Sarah said, but I would call it number one is addressing the, the, the needs of the poorest of the poor in Lebanon immediately. That's medical, that's uh, food aid, that's, uh, you know, it's uh, over 50% now um, poverty rate. And almost half of that is um, is uh, is uh, uh, the poorest of the poor who can't even feed themselves. This is a serious issue. Um, the World Bank has called um, Lebanon one of the th- uh, possibly one of the third worst economic crises since the mid 19th century. Wow, that that, that that's just uh, amazing. Uh, we've got to wake up to to what's going on. So, yeah, and secondly, I would say that, um, as Sarah said, um, we've got to get this government to step aside in favor of reformist government. The IMF is ready and willing to engage in a multi-billion job to fix a Lebanon as quickly as possible. But they have to have someone they can talk to and trust. 
And the international community is not going to blink first. They're not going to say, okay, let's talk to these guys. They are firm in saying, you know what? We've had it with you. We want, we want a government that addresses the needs of the people. So I'd say those two things, and I think it uh, comports with what Sarah is saying. And do you think... I want to ask something, Ray. Go ahead, Sarah. There's, there's always hope for Lebanon. You know, in spite of the Lebanese economy that um, is now, like, really bad, if we look 30 years back, after the civil uh, war in Lebanon, you know that at the end of this, uh, by the end of the civil uh, civil war, we had an economy that uh, that an economy that was below three billion. Okay, at the end of the civil war, and it grew by almost twenty times since 1990 till before the recent collapse. It became sixty billion. So I guess with the right environment and with the right people, there is a potential. There is still a potential for Lebanon. It's just a matter of choosing the right persons to lead us. Is there a... Go ahead. Can I add to to that? Sarah's really inspiring me this morning. Thank you. Um, I really think that um, the one huge asset that Lebanon has, besides its diaspora, is the education of its people. It's one of the the best educated people and one of the most influentially uh, uh, placed people throughout the region. We can't allow um, the education to go down the tubes. We've got to make sure that those American-styled universities like LAU and AUB, but also the the public school system has to be addressed. We can't lose the one um, special um, criteria of the Lebanese people, and that is they're highly educated and very motivated people. I, I know in the United States, the Lebanese American community is so involved. They've been here probably the first immigrants from the Arab world that really had a substantial, sizable population in the U.S. The United States is the biggest uh, country in the world economically, politically. We have great weight and could make a difference in Lebanon. Uh, I know that we have the uh, American Federation of Syrian and Lebanese in the United States. Uh, what more do we need to do more here as Americans, do you think, to augment that voice? Are we doing enough? Um, because there's so many things going on in the Middle East between Syria, Iraq, uh, all these other, uh, you know, Libya, all these other places. Um, you know, are are we not doing enough to put Lebanon back on the top tier to be focused on? So like I said, I think, uh, if I may go first, Sarah, so I think, uh, I, I think number one, uh, Ray, uh, let's, let's, um, let's look at what we've done right. Um, uh, we now have an ATFL that's making a difference. We mentioned three priorities. We talked about other things like sanctions and the IMF relief. We're in touch with agencies every day and they're listening to us and, and we have a seat at the table. You've got the Middle East Institute headed by Paul Salem now that's one of the best think tanks on Lebanon. And you've got the, uh, uh, you know, the Lebanese uh, financial and uh, investment and financial executives life who has joined with us, they, which provides a lot of economic and financial advice. So in Washington, I think we've got a pretty sophisticated approach to policymaking. Where we're missing, though, 
is how can ATFL reach out to the grassroots constituency better? And I, I agree with you. I think we've got to have more regional sessions with our community so that we can empower them to talk to their congressmen so they can get up to speed on what the issues really are and how sophisticated the, uh, the approach has to be in Washington for us to meet. So that's kind of a, where we need to really focus next. Yeah, I, at the, doing this radio show I felt was so important because Lebanon, I was thinking, wow, where's the focus? Where's the coverage? I know the American Task Force on Lebanon, you guys have been doing a phenomenal job. Um, the Federation of uh, Syrian Lebanese Clubs, they're a huge network. They bring such talent together here in the U.S. Um, but I wasn't seeing it, you know, in the media. There didn't, there's, everybody's eyes are every place else, but how do we bring them back to, uh, you know, uh, Sarah in Lebanon? How do we get them to focus on what's happening there and um, what needs to be done? It just, uh, there's this fog out there of so many different things to uh, raise Lebanon. And I think Lebanon probably needs more focus than any of the other countries right now. Um, actually, it's all linked. If you want to address Lebanon's problem, you should address Syria's problem. You should address Yemen's problem, leading to addressing Iran's problems, because it's all linked together. We can see that ever since the revolution in Syria, Lebanon was tremendously shaken. It was shaken on so many levels. Like uh, we have parties, armed parties in Lebanon getting yeah. involved in Syria. I think we you, have you wrote something, I think, this week, didn't you, about... Uh people being stopped on the road and, you know, by uh, people that claim to be Hezbollah guards, and it's almost like it's uh, out of control there. True, true. Um, two days ago, uh, Hezbollah members uh, kidnapped a British journalist. He was just doing his job at a gas station, doing... Uh, a report about the fuel crisis, but apparently he wasn't allowed to do so in a region or in a gas station that is known under the control, uh, in a, uh, that is known to be in a region under the control of Hezbollah. So it's, yeah. it's really... And, and I, I know that we've touched on the idea of the Lebanese armed forces. This is the first time where I, I think when we talk about a country where the armed forces are not as in a position of strength that they normally would be. And is that part of the problem that we have this, and I, you know, I don't want to make it about Hezbollah, but Hezbollah is, is such a huge factor in Lebanon. Um, it's got to be a great weight um, on what happens moving forward. And uh, the Lebanese armed forces don't seem to be that big of a factor. Is that an issue, you think? not just Hezbollah, to be clear. Like, first, no one can question the integrity and importance of the Lebanese army in Lebanon, especially that it's the only Lebanese institution that has the consensus and full support of the Lebanese people. Uh, okay. okay, but, um, and we have to salute the Lebanese soldiers whose salary is barely $100 now. It's, um, 
I guess that is, it's a strategy to weaken the, the, the Lebanese army. I recall uh, I was working for Oxfam in uh, 2016, and we were going to uh, visit uh, the Syrian refugees. We went to a Palestinian camp in uh, the south. I was, I was surprised to see that the army, the Lebanese army, cannot get into the camp. I was surprised to see that I would give my ID to the Lebanese uh, army outside the camp. And once I crossed the gate, you would find armed people everywhere. Like a 13-year-old boy would be, uh, uh, would have a, a weapon just standing there playing with the, with the weapon. So the Lebanese army has not full control over uh, the country. It cannot do much in the south. It cannot do much in the camps. It doesn't have the decision of war or peace. Do you think that, uh, Ed, maybe, do you think that that is this military aspect between Hezbollah and the army, that that, does, that obviously needs to be addressed at some point? Is that if we get into it initially, though, it's just going to erupt into more conflict, won't it? But it, but it's well, important, right? Well, Sarah and I agree again, um, and uh, dispute your uh, uh, phrasing of the question on the Lebanese. That's all right. That's okay. Go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. But um, uh, look, um, the Lebanese armed forces have come a long way. Uh, they've got uh, the respect of the people by and large, and they're led by, you know, General Joseph Allen, who has an impeccable, uh, trustworthy uh, reputation. Uh, the United States has said it's the best fighting force in the uh, Middle East. Wow. Uh, we, yeah. And we, uh, I've talked to embedded U.S. soldiers with the Lebanese Armed Forces. They're really amazed at how good they are. You know, what the, what the LAF was uh, 15 years ago and what it is today is two different things. They've, we've poured more than two billion, or nearly $2 billion into the Lebanese Armed Forces. And it's really paid off for the Department of Defense in their opinion. So I think they're, they're very strong. And if the best way to deal with Hezbollah is to make LAF stronger. Um, that's the way to deal with this. So people who would argue and say, don't fund the LAF because, you know, they have Hezbollah in there. Uh, well, first of all, they don't control the officer ranks at all. Uh, and secondly, uh, it's counterproductive to weaken the LAF, strengthen it, double down on the LAF. So uh, I'm a big proponent of uh, the Lebanese Armed Forces. I think they need to um, expand their abilities. But you know what? Um, they uh, operate like we do uh, and with our military at the advice and, and uh, direction of the government, uh. not a lone ranger. So some things they're being held back on as well. So again, it comes back to those corrupt uh, leaders in Lebanon um, who are unfortunately too influenced sometimes by Hezbollah's needs. And I know the government would control the purse strings. I, I saw a story this week about uh, how the Lebanese army was uh, renting their helicopters out to tourists for something like $150 a trip. And that almost suggested like it was an effort to raise money or something. Um, and I, but I think you're right, Ed, that the government, if the government isn't strong, if the government isn't focused, 
if the government isn't doing the right thing, then no matter how uh, trained, how financed the military, they're not going to be able to do the job they need to do. Listen, uh, I just want to remind everybody that our guests on the line are uh, Ambassador uh, Ed Gabriel, who is the uh, president of the uh, American Task Force on Lebanon, a former ambassador to the Kingdom of Morocco from 1997-2001, and uh, Lebanon analyst and Arab News Gulf Regional Manager Sarah Sfer, who is based in Lebanon right now. We're talking about what's happening in Lebanon. i got to take a quick break, if you guys don't mind. Uh, we got to pay the bills here. But when we come back, I want to uh, continue this conversation. It's so important to focus on Lebanon, and I don't think enough is being done to educate Americans especially. They need to hear the story with our guests, Ed Gabriel and Sarah Sphear. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll uh, talk more about Lebanon with Ed Gabriel and Sarah Sphear. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Get ready for an amazing experience at Ishtar Restaurant on 15 Mile Road in Sterling Heights. Enjoy excellent hospitality from owners Ali al-Baghdadi and Fatty Bottom serving the best in Mediterranean food. Try Chef Ali al-Baghdadi's famous shawarma, the best Iraqi grills and food, and the best Arabic and international dishes. Dine in our authentic atmosphere or take out. Call 586-698-2585 or check us out on Facebook. Ishtar Restaurant practices all seafood. CDC guidelines and is open every day, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. Have an amazing experience today at Ishtar Restaurant, 3625 15 Mile Road, Sterling Heights. Life is a nonprofit charity that's provided humanitarian aid and development to people and communities for over 25 years, regardless of race, color, religion, or cultural background. When disaster occurs here or around the world, Life for Relief and Development rushes in to provide food, medical aid, and shelter to those in need. Please help improve these efforts. Make your tax-deductible donation to Life now at lifeusa.org or call 248-424-7493. Enjoy the first Syrian-style cuisine in Michigan. At Damas Cuisine and Catering, you'll find a wide selection of Syrian foods and sweets in our menu, like frike, hoisi, grape leaves with steak, mashawi platter, hot mahashi, char-grilled kebab, shawarma, and much more. Get super-fast delivery from Damas Cuisine and Catering right to your door. Order online at damascuisine.com forward slash menu and track your order live. Damas Cuisine and Catering, 28841 Orchard Lake Road in Farmington Hills. Call 248-987-4985. The U.S. Arab Radio Network is proud to offer the Ray Hanania Show with veteran journalist Ray Hanania, the U.S. correspondent for the Arab News newspaper. U.S. Arab Radio broadcast content Monday through Friday at 8 a.m. on WNZK AM 690 in Detroit, WDMV 700 in Washington, D.C., and simulcast through stations around the country. Programs will rerun from 5 till 6 p.m. 
Visit us on Facebook at U.S. Arab Radio. And we're also streaming live on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. You know, radio, everybody sound, thinks that an hour on radio is a lot, but believe me when I tell you, it goes by fast. And we have maybe about 15 minutes uh, left to talk about some big issues before we go to our final break and then the close. But um, when we talk about corruption in uh, government in Lebanon, how is that being addressed? What, what is, what's being done with that to address it? I mean, is it just waiting for new elections or is there an effort to do something before elections? Either one of you, what do you think? There's nothing being done. Not, right now, the government is doing nothing. Nothing at all. No no major organizations investigating the corruption? No pressure at all that we see, Ed? There is a lot of pressure from foreign countries. But on the ground, there are only promises. They talk the talk. They know how to talk the talk. But they never walk the walk. So um, I don't think anything is being seriously done at the moment. Yeah, so I, uh, I agree. Um, there's been some um, recommendations made by Congress to uh, Tony Blinken that they should investigate the port explosion, do a forensic audit of the banks, um, also investigate the flow of money overseas. The French have in, in, intimated, intimated that as well. Um, but uh, as Sarah says, uh, we're seeing no direct action yet, although the pressure is mounting for that. When it comes to elections, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, we believe at ATFL and others uh, in the policy community in Washington that, that the elections have to be held on time um, and that the progressives uh, uh, that are running should participate wholly in and make sure that they make a dent, if nothing more, in this election process. I don't think we'll see miracles, but for them to sit this out would not be smart, uh, and for it to be delayed would not be smart as well. Is there an election date scheduled, um, or is that something that uh, has to be done? May something. May something, yeah. No, I know. That's but how would it differ? How would it differ if we hold the elections or no? How would it differ at this at this time? Well, I, I, I'm not pessimistic, but I'm I'm being a bit realistic. Right. If we have this ruling class uh, drafting the election law. We've seen it a few years back. I guess three years now. They drafted an election that would allow them their people to be elected. It's a customized election law yeah. so with, with this ruling class how would it be any different if we hold the elections or not it might differ i want to be optimistic i hope that we would have uh many new faces in the parliament but if i want to be realistic it's not gonna happen so it's um yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I think it's going to be very difficult to see anything approaching um, a, a number that would be very influential. But even if they get 20 seats, it's better than nothing and better than sitting. Definitely. And, and yes, and also, um, 
you know, America has to be supportive of a clean uh, election process. Transparent. Yeah, and it has to jawbone. Uh, the ambassador can do a lot in that regard. We have to stay away from looking like we're influencing it too much, as you can imagine. But we do have to jawbone for clean, fair elections and demand them and call people out um, more and more. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard road ahead. Ray, if, if I could just back up on one thing about the LAF. Um, uh, again, I was reminded, uh, you know, the LAF um, received uh, $105 million this year from Congress. Um, last week, DOD gave them another $15 million. And they're uh, now talking to Congress about freeing up some other monies to pay for expenses of the LAF and other things that could free up another $50 million or more dollars so that that money, instead of going to equipment and other costs, can go to the families. Because as Sarah said, if they're not even making $100 equivalent uh, a month uh, today in their salaries. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, if the LAF weekends, uh, it will be a sad day for Morocco, or for Lebanon, excuse me. You, you know, when I think of uh, Lebanon, I'm always thinking about these big factors, Hezbollah, Syria, Iran, how and then the United States and the West. It it seems like we're ganged up on by some pretty big forces. Hezbollah is no small, you know, organization. They're they're huge and very powerful. Syria, despite all of the problems, they have the back. You know, their turmoil and civil war there. Uh, they have the backing of the Soviet Union behind them. They're still a big player, and Iran is out there on its own. How do you guys look at those factors in terms of the future of Lebanon? I, w is there anything that can be done to free Lebanon so that they can move forward by themselves one day uh, rather than being in this web of control from all these outside forces? I might uh, take a look at this. Um, look, um, uh, and Sarah brought this up earlier. Um, we're negotiating with Iran right now. Uh, we got to make sure Lebanon doesn't get thrown under the bus. Uh, we have a very good relationship with the head of the negotiating team, Rob Malley. He's given us assurances that it's not about Lebanon. It won't be about Lebanon. Lebanon won't be hurt in this process. I'm concerned. Um, we all are concerned because the negotiation could actually lead to helping Lebanon as opposed to hurting it. So I think that's one thing we've got to watch very closely and be suspect of. Um, yes, they will deal with nuclearization uh, first, but Tony Blinken said the deal has to be longer and stronger. And what he meant by that was they have to deal with missile technology in the region, as well as uh, terrorism proxies. So let's, we got to hold them to the word in, in that regard. When it comes to Syria and Russia, um, we got to make sure that we try to move that agenda forward, if for no other reason, to find safe havens for the refugees to be able to go back to their homes. That's going to be hard, but we should engage at least on that humanitarian cause with Russia. Sorry, Sarah, go ahead. You know, I, I second everything you said. I, I was going to say that, that that shows, I mean, that's a great point. I've never thought about why those Iranian negotiations are so important because they do impact Lebanon and, um, you know, moving forward that with that could improve the environment to allow us 
to turn and focus more on Lebanon, to do more for Lebanon, to pull back the forces. I, I, I've never thought of that aspect in terms of Lebanon. Maybe the public needs to understand you know, more that these Iranian negotiations aren't just about nuclear weapons. Obviously, that's a priority, but um, it impacts the whole region, including Lebanon. That might be the one door that opens up that might make a change. That's fascinating. I n- never thought of that myself. And here I thought I knew all the political answers. You know, City Hall reporters, we think we know everything. There And there's, what about these, uh, obviously, now we throw in the word Israel into this mix and it erupts into emotions. Um, how do we deal with that, with all the changes taking place in the Middle East, with Israel, with their elections? How does that impact Lebanon? What impact does Israel have on Lebanon, the the country and the topic? For either one of you, Sarah, do you want to? Or- yeah, um, actually, we uh, it's positive. It's positive to see any side, any two sides sitting together, negotiating until they find a solution. Uh, it's very positive to see all the agreements that have uh, been take, uh, taking place in Arab countries like the UAE, Sudan, Morocco. Uh, and here, like you mentioned Israel, I, I recall the maritime border demarcation. It's funny and it's, I find it's irony. Like we had to negotiate, to sit on the same table with the Israelis and negotiate the demarcation of uh, the uh, Lebanese and Israeli uh, maritime borders. Whereas Syria, our sister, not an enemy, our sister for the uh, so-called sister, took 700 kilometers, sorry about that, 750 square kilometers from block number one without even negotiating it with Lebanon. Wow. So, yeah, it's that's, uh, that's funny to see that Israel, our enemy, is more uh, willing and negotiate. Exactly. That, that's yeah. uh, I, I know that I know that things are still tense between Israel and Lebanon. I mean, you could be charged in Israel for talking to a Lebanese person or visiting Lebanon and the same in Lebanon, you know, I, and those tensions are, are difficult. Ed, what do you think about that? The- well, I, I agree again. Um, and, and I think the way, let's, let's take a small step here. Let's close on the maritime negotiations. I've been down to the South. I've been in the building that they sit at. I've seen the table. It's amazing that they sit across from each other, two enemies talking to one another and if we can build some confidence there, who knows where it could go? So I'm a, a big proponent of, um, of uh, prioritizing that. And I know the United States is engaged uh, with, uh, with Ambassador Desrochers um, right now um, and hopefully, hopefully finding a solution. What do you think are the next steps that we might see some action on over the next uh few months, I mean, where we might actually see further movement on Lebanon. Ed, do you see any? Uh... Okay, so um, where do we see or where do we hope? Um, um, what I see is Lebanon getting worse. I see Lebanon, rather than us debating whether it's a failed state or not, yeah. everyone will say it's now failed. That's what I'm worried about. 
that's where I'm worried that it's headed. Um, what I hope is that this these politicians will wake up and finally realize that they're in trouble and that the international community is not only speaking with one voice, but won't tolerate them uh, and their bank accounts overseas uh, being used against the people of Lebanon. That's what I hope. So the IMF can come in and solve this problem. It can be solved. It, it, we could turn this country around in a matter of weeks. IMF and the United States and, the, and France and so many countries are wanting to help Lebanon. Um, so that's what I, I hope for. Um, but in the meantime, what I think you'll see is more direct aid for the Lebanese armed forces and for the people of Lebanon on aid that does not go through the government, including helping the universities and public education. But government corruption still remains a big stumbling block then, apparently. Yeah, uh, as Sarah said, uh, we don't see much movement there. Um, and I think the only way to deal with that right now is through sticks, not carrots. And the sticks, of course, are limited. Uh, and they're, you know, do sanctions work or not? In some cases they do. In some cases they don't. I won't get into who uh, it helps or who it hurts, but um, uh, we've got to at least use the threat of sanctions and realize that people with Western bank accounts should have to pay a price. But this dialogue and this focus that we're, this topic that we're talking about this morning, we need to elevate it. We need to put it on the radar screen. This is something that people need to be talking about. The American Task Force on Lebanon, I think, has really kind of helped light a fuse in a positive way to get, you know, people talking. Uh, Sarah, I know things are tough there, you know, in Beirut. We only got a few more minutes, so maybe let me just ask, you know, cut to the chase and ask if you have any final thoughts, each of you, about uh, Lebanon uh, to either encapsulate what we've talked about or maybe something that I didn't bring up or we didn't bring up that you think is really important. I will, Sarah, if you want to go ahead first, then we'll go to Ed. And I, and I appreciate both of you joining us this morning. It's phenomenal, this topic. Thank you, Ray. I guess uh, we all agree that there is an international mobilization for Lebanon that should be met from the Lebanese side with some reforms. We can't do much without reforms. Everybody's ready to help us. We just need to take the first step. Let's start with the reforms. Let's start with the UN resolution, the, the implementation of the UN resolution, 1559, 1701. We should start from, uh, from somewhere, and, and we should start from there, reforms and the implementation of UN resolution. For me, that, that could lead to, to the salvation of Lebanon. All right, Ed, any final well, thoughts? Well, thank you both. Uh, this has been a fascinating discussion, and quite frankly, educational for me. So thank you, uh, both of you. Um, look, I, I think uh, Ray touched upon something twice now, uh, the need to communicate better. Um, AFL is not communicating uh, well, and it needs to communicate with the public more because we need more and more of our, our uh, community focused on this issue. We've got a great start. We've got to continue this. We've got to continue to reach out. Uh, make friends like we have today with Sarah and, and yourself, Ray, uh, so that we can continue to have this dialogue and this discussion. I think we're doing a lot of good work. People need to know that. 
but there's more work to be done. All right, everybody, listen. First of all, I want to thank both of my guests, Ed Gabriel, President. And by the way, I am definitely not criticizing the American Task Force on Lebanon. You guys have done a lot. You're the one that brought this to my attention. I said, wow, why isn't anybody else talking about it? So you guys deserve a lot of credit for what you're doing. Ed Gabriel is the president of the American Task Force on Lebanon, former ambassador to Morocco, uh, and Lebanon analyst and Arab Gulf uh, News regional manager, Sarah Safir. Both of them, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to have to go to our final break real quick and then uh, end the show. But uh, I, I, we got to do this again. And I'm just glad we were able to dedicate the whole hour to this topic. It really deserves a lot more. Thank you both. Thank you both. All right. We'll go to break. And then when we come back, I'll give some closing quick remarks. Thank you so much, everybody. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Are your hands feeling numb? Do you feel pain opening up a jar, turning a key? Are you noticing that your elbow and your shoulder are becoming stiff? Or were you recently injured in your arm? Hello, I'm Dr. Albajit Katranji, and at the Katranji Hand Center, which just recently opened down the street from the Somerset Mall, we can provide you with the latest in hand, wrist, elbow, and shoulder care. Visit us at www.katranjihandcenter.com to learn the latest techniques that we have to offer you, and I look forward to taking care of you. Visit us in Troy at 1565 West Big Beaver Road, Building F, or call Katranji Hand Center for an appointment at 248-869-4263. That's 248-869-4263. When it comes to reproductive medicine, IVF Michigan Fertility Centers are the recognized leaders. With locations in Bloomfield Hills and five other cities in Michigan and Ohio, IVF has experts in all aspects of the field. As a founding member of IVF Michigan Fertility Centers, Dr. Nicholas Shama is one of the leading reproductive endocrinologists in Michigan and Ohio. Dr. Shama has performed over 10,000 IVF cases and has helped thousands of couples fulfill their dreams of parenthood. American board certified in both obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology and infertility, Dr. Nicholas Shama is a very caring, compassionate, expert physician that understands not only the medical but also the emotional toil of infertility on his patients. When it's time, get personalized care from Dr. Nicholas Shama at IVF Michigan Fertility Centers in Michigan and Ohio. Call toll-free 855-952-9600, 855-952-9600. And we had an information-packed radio show this morning with uh, Ed Gabriel of the American Task Force on Lebanon and analyst Sarah Sphere, who is a right, who is a, a golf uh, Arab News Golf Regional Manager. Both of them were phenomenal. I'm Ray Hanani. I'm going to be back next Wednesday. Remember, go to ArabNews.com/slash Ray Radio Show for more information. Bye bye, everybody. Have a great week.